Eric, I missed you last night. Don't you miss me every night? Well, yeah, but more than usual this time. Aw, what'd I do? I was, well, it's about what I did and you didn't do, I think. Oh. I hung out with podcast guest Jacob and I guess also podcast guest Sam, right? Yeah, Sam Wells is on our show. Yeah, uh, Sam's store, Toy Du Jour, just had its grand reopening last night. They have this really awesome new location down uh, Fullerton, not not super far from here, actually. And it's huge and amazing. And there was a live band. It was just huge. And uh, I bought toys and drank beers. And the the band was so loud. <laughs> it was just so loud. Never have my, has my age felt more obvious than when I walked in and couldn't hear anyone talking to me. I decided I was in like a movie scene, you know, where you're like entering a new space and the camera's panning around and people are high-fiving and hugging and there's no dialogue because there couldn't be any dialogue. It was so loud. So Toy Du Jour actually moved like three blocks from where I live. Their address is 2532 West Fullerton. So if you do like a three-block radius patrol, you'll see my house which is really fun. I, I meant to go by this weekend. I just didn't. But I will say, I hung out with Jacob yesterday, too. We played Magic the Gathering together. So maybe the question is, why didn't you come to Theros Beyond Death release weekend at Pastimes? No one told me about it. Good answer. <laughs> Jacob did say to me when I walked into Toy Du Jour after the music slowed down, he said, oh, yeah, I saw your brother earlier today. And I couldn't tell if he was doing a bit and talking about you, which he was doing sort of a... um. Adam and Adora thing, or if he just sincerely thought I had a brother. For, so for a second, I like wasn't laughing and wasn't taking the joke, and I was like, dude, what do you mean? <laughs> I did a very bad job. <laughs> toy du jour, by the way, to I mean, tell you guys what it is, it is a vintage toy shop with some art and some other stuff as well. They call themselves Toys, Arts, and Farts because there are some like prank toys there as well. I bought a um, Rugrats fidget spinner for my partner and a little uh, Big Daddy vinyl from Bioshock for myself. But they do a ton of Masters of the Universe and Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles and old Star Wars stuff. It's really cool. And the prices are super fair. You can also sell stuff. I've sold them a couple of things and always felt like they were real legit with me. Same here. Yeah, I bought a Hordak and a Grizzlor from them. If you guys need any vintage Horde members, they're like 15, 20 bucks. I need, I'm probably going to get like a Mantena or a Leech this week. So, Sam, if you're listening, I'm coming for you, baby. <laughs> Set that Mantena aside because <laughs> the man's coming for it. I got my antenna up for Mantena. <laughs> Weird. Weird. <laughs> Hey everybody, welcome back to She-Ra Progressive of Power. My name is Eric and I can talk again. I was just gonna say, yay for that, and I'm Lauren. And who's on first? Is it Jacob? What? I don't know, I'm just thinking about <laughs> Jacob still. <laughs> I'm sure he'll be delighted. I'm just, I'm just thinking about him. I'm just always thinking about Jacob. I, I think about people who give me gifts. I'm a very um, <laughs> selfish person. Your love language is receiving things. Jacob sent us care packages, including two shadow weavers. Yeah, it's awesome because literally earlier yesterday, I was like, I haven't bought any of the Super 7 Club Grayskull figures, but I was like, maybe I should break my 
abstinence for a Shadow Weaver because I don't have any Shadow Weaver toys. And then Jacob bought us each one. So sorry, Super Seven. I guess you lost. You didn't lose that money. You just got it from someone else. Yeah, yeah I, they got your. They got the money. You know what we call that? Socialism. <laughs> Speaking of, so fucking Iowa caucus next week. Have you seen the polls? Bernie is pulling ahead. Bernie is on fire. Where did this come from? I think it might have unfortunately come from the like fake media beef with Elizabeth Warren, but I guess I'll take it sort of regrettably. Yeah, I, I think that was so stupid. I'm just pleased as punch that Joe and Pete are not in the number one spot anymore. Yeah, thank goodness. I was just... What, when I wasn't thinking about Jacob, I was thinking about Joe Biden earlier today because um, his campaign like slogan is no malarkey. And I was reminded of the fact that he once lied about like his own academic record and like what schooling he had accomplished. And I was like, why is this liar running on no malarkey? It's like that Simpsons joke. No comma malarkey exclamation point. <laughs> yeah, I am. Um, I'm really intrigued by what we're seeing happening with Bernie Sanders. I I feel like I should mention Lauren a few weeks ago sent me like a Washington Post kind of like a personality quiz for which a candidate aligns most with your viewpoints. Interestingly enough, I it's a twenty question quiz. I got Warren at fourteen and Bernie at twelve, and Lauren's number one was Bernie, right? With fourteen, it was. I was surprised to see that because Warren's been my number one for a while. But that quiz really struck at some viewpoints that I am very extremist on, and I think the quiz did that on purpose. Like, I think every prisoner should be able to vote. Yes, I agree. I would be super down for open borders, which I know even a lot of my lefty friends disagree with. But because of, like, the extreme versions of the policies I have, forgive literally all student debt, for example, that quiz gave me Bernie. Yeah, I... uh... I agree with you on Soon Dent, and I agree with you on, on prisoners, which, shockingly, Bernie's the only candidate who thinks that all prisoners should be able to vote. The um, the border thing I am slightly more conservative on in as much as I think regulation should be really relaxed, but I'd still like some kind of vetting process. But also, like, I'm willing to be wrong because borders are essentially fictional anyway. They don't really mean anything. Yeah, I'm at a phase right now, and I don't know if it will last forever, where my mindset is like, Every time we try to police anything, the police end up being violent and corrupt and racist. So just forget it. Who watches The Watchmen? Huh? Just let everyone in. I I don't care. And I think both of our number threes surprised us. It was Tom Stair. Yeah, the, who I at the time didn't know who that was. Same. He's one of the billionaires in the race, but he's he's the one who seems like the most like cool uncle billionaire. He's kind of like the J.B. Pritzker of the of the um presidential race where he just like will throw his money at progressive politics because like he wants to be friends with Bernie I think I wish some billionaire and I know this is really against most of my ethics but I wish some billionaire would just be like I'm giving every American a thousand dollars right now because then they would super just win the election that's all it would take and then I'd have a thousand dollars I mean isn't that almost Andrew Yang's pitch Right, but he doesn't have the money to do it. He yeah, wants he needs to, the government, needs the government to, do to do it. Yeah, I'm saying like your literal bank account. Just go in, give me that thousand dollars, daddy. And I say daddy because mm. it's all dudes. It's all old yeah, white dudes. That's true. <laughs> yeah, it's going to be really interesting to see what happens in Iowa with with Bernie. A lot of people are saying if he takes it, you'll see the Democratic establishment freak out, which is probably true. There's even people saying. Oh, like Obama said he'll come out against Bernie, which I think is wrong. Like, I don't think he would actually do that. I'd be shocked. I'd be very disappointed. I would be, too. And I am sad to lose 
Well, we haven't lost her yet. I'm sad that Warren's standing is taking a tumble, but it is really tantalizing that it looks like a progressive candidate could really take this far this year. Yeah, thank goodness. I I think it would be a very exciting presidential race with Bernie or Warren, frankly, because we are we would be seeing a world where an extremely radically conservative and, you know, frankly, in my opinion, evil person was up against someone who was going to try to pull as hard in the other direction. We just talked about moderation last episode, and I don't want a moderation candidate. Nope. Yeah, which is why I hated the the trumped-up feud, pardon the pun, between Bernie and and Warren, because essentially they are friends, and they had a disagreement. And, like, maybe my hot take, so if you don't know the disagreement was, at some point Bernie said in a meeting, I don't think a woman can win the presidency, and Warren called him out on it, and then he said he didn't say it. So that's shitty on Bernie's part. But the first thing he said, honestly, we've all said that because, unfortunately, it's probably true because people are sexist as fuck. (laughs) And I hate that that's true. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if I agree that it's true, true. I do agree that it would be just a zillion times harder. Right. And that's not fair. I mean, I love Warren and I do think she could win. But I I guess I see the pessimism of, of running a woman because look what happened last time. Right. I I certainly, if it were up to me, I would just have it be a woman candidate from now on forever. Like, you don't get to go, oh, one bad female superhero movie happened. I guess we should never have another woman in the lead again. And we've tried to see the film industry do that. And it's bullshit. Let's not do it with our politics. Yeah. And incels are trying to get Brie Larson fired again. Knock it off, guys. (laughs) I don't know if you know this, but not only is she talented, but she's really attractive. Don't take Brie away from me. (laughs) I love you, Brie. I mean. Anyway. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) (laughs) I just wanted to put that out into the universe. This is my vision board. Number one listener, Brie Larson. We know you're a big fan. But like, what if, though? What if? What if? Hello again, friend of a friend. I knew you went. Anyway, we're talking about Sheer today, everybody. We are talking about the first of the two-part season finale, Destiny Part 1. We considered combining the two finale episodes into one podcast, and I'm glad we didn't, because a lot happens in this one. Also, I should mention, uh, you're hearing just Lauren and I go at this for like the third time this season. Um, That's because we're awesome, obviously. You just love hearing us. But also, we have a really dope interview or two scheduled. We've had some scheduling mishaps lately, and unfortunately, the content machine waits for no person. So, by the end of the season, you're going to hear from someone you have asked us for. I promise you that. But this week, you're just going to hear from us, and we're going to get really deep into this episode that, honestly, the person we are interviewing probably wouldn't have fun talking about because we're going to go really deep. (laughs) Yeah. And, I mean... I would much rather give you guys a show every week and know that you have something to listen to every week than nothing. And now you all know that I love Brie Larson and your lives are enriched by that. So great. Destiny part one. I don't even know how to begin to recap this. Maybe let's try to do it together. Let's give it a go. Let's give it a go. So we. Much like Voltron. (laughs) Hashtag DreamWorks animation. I guess. I, aren't people mad at Voltron? No, just that one guy was. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So this episode opens on Bright Moon. We have Scorpia wondering <clears throat> if she's in prison or not, sort of taken by the hospitality of Bright Moon. Shadow Weaver's there, has some very good lines. 
The important part about this scene, though, is that Double Trouble has escaped. That's right. Once again, we're reminded of the espionage plot. Cut to Beast Island, where Entrapta is there with all of the heroes stuck in her little mecha frog pod thing. Um, and they're, they want to figure out what's at the center of the island, but also leave the island. Right. So there's this whole plot of them investigating what's up. And, of course, Entrapta kind of info dumps everything that's going on with Etheria, uh, filling in all of Adora's gaps from, uh, from Light Hope. Meanwhile, there's also a plot back at the Fright Zone of Catra really losing it with Scorpia gone. Um, that involves Lonnie, Kyle, and Rogelio. They kind of get into it, like, really bad. And it seems like Catra's about to rock Lonnie until Kyle stands up for Lonnie, which was really cool. Catra tries to turn her attitude around when Double Trouble appears and gives intel regarding the rebellion. Catra decides, with the help of Double Trouble, supposedly, that it's time to strike. So she's able to inform Hordak that things are going really well. They're going to be able to make sort of their last push and win forever. And for a moment, Hordak is pleased. Back at Bright Moon, uh, Glimmer has talked to Light Hope and realizes that for the Heart of Ethereum to be active, all of the princesses and their um, runestones have to be online. And the remaining one that isn't is the Black Garnet. So Glimmer convinces Scorpia that she needs to reconnect with the Black Garnet and bring it online so they can save Etheria. On Beast Island, we discover that She-Ra, and not really so much She-Ra, but more so the sword, is the key to activating the heart of Etheria. The first ones made the sword to control She-Ra in order to activate this universe-ending weapon. But the weapon was so powerful, in fact, that the first ones themselves fled. And now Adora... Uh, is getting the feeling, because Entrapta says so, that she will not be able to control herself and cannot resist her awful destiny. And at the very end of the episode, we learn that there is, in fact, a triple cross and that Double Trouble has been working with Glimmer and didn't actually escape from Bright Moon but was let go. We almost lose Entrapta, but we don't. That's good. Oh, yeah, that is in this episode. I, I watched both parts today. I forget how it divides. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of cliffhangers in this one. Yeah, and it pays off a lot of, like, the the guesswork and questions that people might have about the season, really. Like, almost every line in here, like, confirms suspicions that people have had throughout the whole season. It is super exposition-y, but I didn't mind. I really enjoyed this episode, and it might just be because there's that relief almost that you get when finally some details are revealed right yes it do, it does feel very relieving i i guess i didn't think of it as an info dump even though it really is because it's also propelling things so forward like so much is happening this show is really careful about giving you little like nuggets and teases of information but in this episode it's just like everything there's very few unanswered questions by the end of this episode. Who should we talk about or what should we talk about first? I think Scorpia, because Scorpia, her end, like, isn't reached in this episode, but she is convinced in this episode. Yeah, okay, I like that scene. Let, let's talk about Glimmer courting Scorpia to their side, because I think there's a compelling question here. Because essentially what happens is, yeah, Glimmer goes to Light Hope, 
and I think we saw this last episode. That was before, yeah. Yeah, convinces Light Hope to like tell her everything. And so Glimmer's like, okay, I got to get Scorpia on the team. And so kind of like we saw with Perfuma and Frosta, Glimmer has this like bonding moment with Scorpia that I think is really rich. Uh, and she convinces Scorpia that like they can be the heroes that Scorpia always wanted to be and save everybody and Scorpia can finally belong with the princesses. But the question is... How much of this is Glimmer being honest and earnest, and how much of it is her manipulating Scorpia to get what she wants? Yeah, I hate this scene, and I don't mean like I think it's bad in terms of execution. It's incredibly well executed, but I hate it because I think Glimmer is being very Shadow Weaver. Uh, Glimmer, I think her main motivation is getting what she wants. And there is a lot of honesty in her speech. The thing that makes her like Shadow Weaver is that there's a lot of truth in what she has to say about the sort of insecurities that both of them have felt and how high the stakes are. That's all true. But Glimmer is very focused on proving something. And even though she says, we can save everyone, you're going to be a great princess... To me, it felt like the most important thing to her was sticking it to everyone else. And that is going to lead anyone down a bad path, I think. I agree with that. And there's a couple things that she says to uh, to Scorpia that are just so precisely phrased. Like, it's very sweet in that scene. Scorpia says, I know I left the Horde, but I'm not going to betray them or Catra. And then Glimmer argues that once Horde Prime arrives, he will basically kill Catra and have no use for her, so that the only way to save Catra is to stop Hordak now. And it's like, maybe that's true, but that's also a big reach to get what you want. It is really like a scare tactic, and I'm not sure she believes it, but she believes it enough to really sell it. Yes, and and like you said, vulnerability. There's a lot of vulnerability from Scorpia. She says, what if the Black Garnet doesn't like me? And Glimmer kind of taps into her own insecurities, but yeah, in a way that I think she has a very clear end goal, and it's not to bond with Scorpia. And it's, it's, it's kind of squicky. I literally wrote the word squicky on my notes. Heck yeah. So, yeah, I think you're right. This is... And But also interestingly in this episode, Glimmer basically tosses Shadow Weaver aside and is like, your plan is dumb, my plan is good. Yeah, the, uh, that's who I wanted to kind of transition into. Glimmer is acting like Shadow Weaver, but in doing so has bailed on Shadow Weaver. Shadow Weaver tells Glimmer, slow down, don't go through with this plan. And the second Shadow Weaver is not in step with Glimmer, Glimmer just abandons her too. Um, point the first about that. I had a question at the end of this episode, and it was, who was in on Double Trouble's Triple Cross? Because at the beginning, when we're sitting with with Scorpia and Shadow Weaver and Glimmer, that palace guard comes in and says, I'm sorry, Double Trouble has escaped. But clearly Glimmer knows better, and I don't think anyone else in the scene does. I think she literally went like full rogue. Yeah, I think that's the correct read. I think only Glimmer knows. The other thing is... I loved Shadow Weaver in this episode, favorite character, because the second she's faced with someone else getting the runestone that was like formerly the source of her power, she hates that and it causes her a lot of pain. I think it's one of the reasons she tries to hold Glimmer back, 
because Glimmer is honing in on taking something away very permanently and very powerfully from Shadow Weaver. Yes. I think the Shadow Weaver-Scorpia interactions were really fascinating in this episode in general because we never really saw them interact too much in the Fright Zone. And there's just, like, this kind of tension. Like, they were old colleagues that, like, kind of, sort of, maybe got along. Uh, But Shadow Weaver clearly has no patience for Scorpia. And, yeah, I think when realizing that, like, she's going to lose the Garnet, all bets are off. I... I, I'm not going to go so far as to call this a prediction, but I'm going to say there's something I want to see in season five that I only came to watching the episode this time, which was like my third watch through. I want all of the flowers that Shadow Weaver has been planting to be some sort of um, invasion or takeover of Bright Moon because... They just keep going back to how much she likes flowers. And I'm starting to feel like it's some sort of Chekhov's gun. Like, why do we keep talking about this? Point the second, Emily was like rolling all over the flowers and being a real dick about them. It's almost like Emily knows something. And in the last scene that Shadow Weaver is in, she's sitting on the throne. And I feel like you could look at that as just her sort of being somber and pouty. But I kind of wonder if she was going to spring some sort of trap when everyone came back because how on earth could she luck into literally all of our big heroes leaving bright moon at the same time damn i was kind of hoping she was like actually somewhat reformed but that makes a lot of sense i want it to be so bad because that's my girl and my girl's never caught on her back foot (laughs) (laughs) i like that though we both could accept that shadow weaver could reform but like entrapped it and catch it we're like no they have to pay for their sin i i don't I could accept that she could reform. I just think she was always in it wherever she was going to get served. And if she saw an opportunity to take over this whole place, I think she would do it. And if they don't, if they don't make her take one more attempt at a huge power grab, I'd be shocked. But I do like that she's pretty consistently on the side of not destroying the whole planet. That at least is pretty, pretty solid. With oh, her. for sure. If she destroyed the whole planet, what would there be left to rule over? Yeah. That's how I feel, too, in my conquest plans. Weird. (laughs) Remember this. This is important, everybody. Uh, Yes. Okay. I I, I noticed something overarching about this episode that's more just fun fan trivia. But Glimmer's outfit now and Catcher's outfit now, and they've been wearing them through the whole season. I just never really pointed this out before, are way closer to the original 80s designs than their previous outfits were. If you look at the shape of their gloves around, like, the wrists and the elbows and the shape of their belts, like their waistbands, and their their bust lines as well, it's all very much like the 80s character design. And I thought that was so dope that we are moving toward the vintage looks with the sort of age-ups. Oh, fascinating. Well, there's a really good example of that in the next episode, too, but I won't say whom. Okay. We'll get we'll get there when we get there. Again, I just don't know what you're talking about. Like, I was laughing at how many things this episode came around, like Entrapta referring to everyone as princesses, and that does get resolved. And I was treating it like this this open ended question last episode. I've watched this season three times now, and I keep forgetting stuff. 
I think that's a good thing, though. I think it just means there's so much in here to find. Yeah. Okay, let's transition to Entrapta. I think Entrapta gets a lot of good stuff in this episode. So first of all, I love that she loves Beast Island. She's just infatuated with all the... It's like a tech graveyard, and there's nowhere else she wants to be. Um, But we also get at the heart of her kind of emotional issues, which is she keeps using this word confusing. Like, the princess is adopting her and then leaving her because they thought she was dead. And then Hordak. Oh, she said, yeah, her relationship with Hordak and her feelings there were confusing. Yeah. And when they mention Hordak, she pulls her mask down. Yes, that's what I was going to call out. That's such a good touch that as soon as Hordak comes up, she masks down. That's incredible. There's so much great animation moments in this season. I mentioned a few episodes back how on Bright Moon we were talking about Catra and we cut to Adora's face really quick. The mask coming down is a really good one. And before She-Ra transforms in this one, she just has a brief moment of hesitation where she looks at her wrist and just says nothing and flinches. Like, she knows that the sword is the key to the heart of Etheria. She's not sure if if she could use it anymore. And it's not in the dialogue at all. It's just in the artwork. Yeah, right. Uh Pretty, pretty excellent. Uh, a couple more things on Entrapta. I just think her like monologue is is, or not even a monologue, but her dialogue with Bo is really beautiful about how um, she says, "I just wasn't suited for friendship. No one understands me. Everyone leaves me behind." Uh, real Sean Hunter vibes. I just watched the entire Meets World universe, and uh, <laughs> that's exactly Sean Hunter's plot in Girl Meets World. Spoiler alert! Alert is he feels like everyone he loves leaves him. And so now I'm realizing that Entrapta is Sean Hunter. <laughs> I haven't thought about Boy Meets World in a while. This is going to sound kind of maybe um, rude to the fandom, and that's not what I'm saying. But I've had a spreadsheet going a long time of what I'm going to name my dog when I adopted my dog because I want a new one. And I think I'm about to put Topanga on that list because Topanga would be such a cute dog name. Oh, I love that. <laughs> I, that's beautiful. Um Anyway, wait for our Girl Meets World podcast. (laughs) Coming soon. Yeah, and we could do the exact same thing. I haven't watched it yet, so you can introduce (laughs) me to it. It'll just be the same old show. The thing is, I don't think Girl Meets World is all that good on the whole. I think there's about 15 great episodes. Anyway, this is not that podcast. Um, I do want to say the Entrapta being like confused by Hordak moment. We didn't mention a moment in the last episode that really touched me as well, which was when Micah found out about Angela's death in the in the saddest way. He made the connection for himself that if Glimmer was dead, that means Angela wasn't queen anymore, and he just loses it and gives himself away to the island. And similarly, Entrapta's complex feelings for Hordak are also part of what kind of draw her back into the thrall of the island. And I guess what I'm saying is my favorite tone for cartoons is just desperately sad romantic longing. Yes. I'm a big fan of uh, like uh, in Adventure Time. Adventure Time, I think, is a masterpiece of animation, the best cartoon of all time. Sorry, Shira. And the Ice King story, um, his background as Simon Petrikov. If I think about that for too long, I start to get upset. And it's starting to happen with this show, too. Like if I think about Angela for too long or now... Hordak at the end with the tears in his eyes when he finds out that um, Catra was the one who took Entrapta away. I just get riled. <laughs> yeah, so I definitely want to talk about Hordak. Um, I do want to pose the question to you before we jump to that. Do you feel like, because 
this whole Entrapta scene, the climax of it plays out where Bo is trying to get her to come back with them to Bright Moon, and she's feeling taken by the island and by her feelings. And then Adora's like, we don't have time for this. Do you want to ride on a first one ship? And she's like, you have a first one ship that works? Cool. And that, and then she, like, goes with them. Um, do you think that, like, it really was just the ship? Or do you think that maybe there's a part of her that is, like, drawn to these relationships? Um... I honestly think it's the ship, or at least in that moment, that's what pulled her out of it. Because in my notes, I wrote, why would Entrapta return? Because if you think of the world from the perspective of Entrapta right now. From the perspective of a girl meeting it. What? Oh, girl meet. I'm sorry. (laughs) Boo! Anyway, if you think of the world, Entrapta meets world, uh, she has repeatedly now tried to go against her better instincts to isolate herself and open up to people. And every time she gets vulnerable, it just breaks bad. And I don't think Bo does a complete or effective job convincing her that the world isn't that. I think he tries. He takes a big swing. But I don't think she's given much reason to believe that this time's going to be any different. So I'm actually glad they did the ship thing. Because if she'd been like, yeah, I do have friends... If I were her, I don't know if I'd buy it yet. I think they need to make it up to her down the road still. That's, I think, a great answer. Okay, so yeah, Hordak, you mentioned that Double Trouble kind of takes great delight in explaining to Hordak what really happened with Entrapta, uh, which is that Catra exiled her uh, and that she is not, in fact, in Bright Moon. And Hordak, yeah, he cries. So, Lauren, what's your read on that scene? Well, I think it does what this show does so well, and that is making us remember that nobody on this show is black or white one thing. Nobody is pure good and nobody is pure evil. And I think, frankly, even just from a storytelling perspective, we have to start feeling for Hordak now, knowing that bigger bad guys are coming. Mm -hmm. And, frankly, I think I've come around to it. I think I ship it a little. Yeah, I, this was the episode where I started to be like, all right. <laughs> I think if you if you have in your head that Entrapped is like maybe 24 or 26, it starts to be a little less weird. Right. And I think Hordak is, I think, younger than the like ageless sort of being he was supposed to be in the 80s cartoon. And I, I keep forgetting Entrapta in the original was a hordesman. Yeah. So they can be on the same side, even if it's presented more complicated this time. I also want to call out Double Trouble as a great line in that scene. What makes something a sanctum anyway? <laughs> Double Trouble is really, really brave. So I, saucy. I, again, had literally forgotten that there was a triple cross at the end of this episode. And so not remembering that they were working for Glimmer, for a brief second I was like, man, they really have no sense of self-preservation. Like, they really don't care. They're meddling so much. And then even remembering that they're getting paid, I'm still impressed. I mean, they'll just go anywhere for the right price, I guess. I I bet Glimmer is giving them a lot of money. Well, I think that means the last big item this episode covers is the continuity stuff, which is very, very heavy. So like I mentioned in the recap, Entrapta basically knows everything that Adora and friends have been struggling to find out. Uh, According to her, the first ones 
uh, mind Etheria's magic. And once all of the rune stones are online, uh, we, as we know, we'll arm this weapon. Shira's sword will channel the energy of the heart uh, and will allow it to kind of do its thing without going all willy-nilly crazy. And that's why the first ones made the sword of Shira to control Shira. So that begs the question, then where does Shira come from? Right. I think we know already from Madame Raz that Shira is a force of the planet itself, is like an Aetherian power, but I don't know the specifics mm. of that. Yeah, and so that that also makes me wonder, is this sword the sword of protection? Is it like the quote real Shira sword? Or is it like a bastard version that the first ones made because they were afraid of the real Shira? But yeah, there, I think there's a lot of I mean, I, I said there were no unanswered questions. That's a lie, because this is still a big, a big question mark. But at least we have a definitive answer. It on raises Shiro's more role. questions. Like, Beast Island has a first one's temple on it. Entrapta says this is where the first ones dumped their secrets. Who were they keeping secrets from? The Horde? Just the rest mm. of the universe? Yeah, we still don't know who their enemies are. We also don't know if there's more princesses. I know there has to... I feel like there has to be. Okay, so this is my big question for the episode. In Back in season one or two, when we saw that diagram of all the princesses and the runestones, weren't there like 10 or 12? Yeah. Now there's only five. And I don't remember if... I'd have to go back and look at the screenshots. I don't remember if there was literally a runestone connected to all of them, but there was a color and a silhouette, and we saw other characters that we haven't met yet. And I'm willing to believe there are more princesses because Entrapta is a princess who says she doesn't have a runestone. And so there can be more, I suppose. Sure. But they're apparently not a part of the planet-balancing ecosystem. Right. It feels like that's a big question, too, is like what, what makes you clear that bar? Right. So, like, I, I can destroy the planet. Um, we also learned from Entrapta that the first ones left because they knew they'd be destroyed. So, like, whatever's about to happen, it seems like even though She-Ra has the ability to, like, focus it, it seems like it's going to get pretty hairy. Well, it, it seems like it got to a point that almost no one wanted it to happen. And I felt the same way when Catra was about to pull that lever. Even Hordak didn't want to destroy the world anymore, and she went and did it. And I think we're in a very similar situation where the first ones of the past might have been electing to not do this thing. They were going to escape. It was too much. And it's about to happen again anyway. Yes. And so that all, of course, ties us in, as Lauren mentioned earlier, to the name of the episode and kind of the theme of the series, which is destiny. There's a very kind of creepy and trapped reveal where Adora's like, I'm not going to do this. And Entrapped is like, you don't get to refuse. And she gets all bug-eyed and crazy. Uh, right, because she's fascinated by it and isn't connecting the implications of other people's feelings or livelihoods. It's just cool science. Right. But Destiny is a very apt title for this episode because so many plot lines are coming to, I think, the end that we knew that they had to. Like, did anything in here really surprise you? Nothing felt like a, a kind of finale of Dallas. That's a really ancient reference, but like a finale of Dallas, like left field Dallas, shocker. wow. Yeah. Um, I, I would say the, the triple cross on Double Trouble's part surprised me a little bit, but wasn't surprising in that it 
was out of character. Like, it was a completely in-character thing to happen. It just took me by surprise. And again, not a surprising twist, but the timing that they animated of Micah landing on Bright Moon, like, literally milliseconds before Glimmer leaves, not a surprise, very predictable sort of tension building, but still affecting and still sad. Yes, there's a lot. (laughs) We've said the word sad a lot. And this episode has a lot of sad to go around. Oh, that last moment where Shadow Weaver just slaps Micah's magic to the side, that was a little surprising to me. It implies that he is rusty and sloppy and she could kick his ass. And so that's another reason I really am all in on my hope for a Shadow Weaver trying once more to sort of become queen of the world. Because if we get to see like a Micah versus Shadow Weaver sort of I don't even want to say rematch, but battle into it, here for it. Do you think we'll see that in the next episode? I don't remember. (laughs) Yeah, there's only one episode left this season, Lauren, and I bet a lot of stuff is going to happen in it. (laughs) I've watched it, but I really don't remember because I binged it. That's what happens. That's the problem with me and these like Netflix releases. If I binge something... I'll be binging it while I'm doing other stuff. Like I'll be doing homework or cleaning the house and I'll miss stuff. And so I'm glad that I have this podcast to really make me sit and just actually watch because I feel like I'm seeing things for the first time, even though it's like time three. So great job, DreamWorks, making this rich and complex story. You really have to sit and pay attention. Great job. Uh, Lauren, is there anything else you want to say about Destiny Part 1? Uh, mostly that I hope Scorpia gets the opportunity to continue growing her art talents and that she continues to sketch her friends Mm -hmm. and make cute drawings now that she has the time on Bright Moon. I hope they encourage that in her. Yeah, Scorpia, like, I feel like the more I do this podcast, the more I come around to how fans want everyone to be redeemed. And Scorpia is my number one, like, I really want what's best for her. She's oh, also, such a shout out to the Foley in this episode, like the sound design in the uh, center of Beast Island when that whole First One's Temple was booting up. There were all sorts of noises. Like, I swear I heard Light Hope talking backwards, and I also heard like a 90s internet, like, um, like a dial-up modem. Yeah. Did what did Light Hope tell you? Paul is dead. Yeah, I ran it backwards, and I'm really worried about Paul. (laughs) Who's Paul? (laughs) Uh, Some Beatles guy. Oh. Oh, he wrote the song. (laughs) The cursed song. We really keep um, dating ourselves a lot. Like, we had a teen in the last episode, and now we're like, let's make Dallas and (laughs) Beatles references. I mean, that's all on me, because I guess I'm I'm an old man. I'm going to end this episode with a question to you, Lauren. Okay. What? is your destiny what is my destiny and have you ever fought against what you thought it was oh my gosh i don't think there's any such thing as destiny which is kind of a bogus answer like this is going to sound really depressing and adult but uh here in my 30s every time i've made a lifetime decision that i thought was like it for the rest of my years It's gone awry. Like, I've had jobs that I really thought this is the job I'm going to retire from. I had a marriage that, you know, you obviously go into something like that thinking it's going to be forever, that it's your destiny. And it never is. So, honestly, 
I'm excited that I, I don't think I believe in that anymore. Yeah, when people ask you, like, the job interview question of where do you see yourself in five years, I don't know, hopefully happy? Like, to me, that's the best answer you can give. I don't try to long-term plan. Like, I'm going to ride the wave I'm on until it stops being satisfying, and, and who knows how long that is. Yeah, I have a couple of business ideas that I want to start after business school. I mean, graduating by the end of this year, that's a mini destiny in the near future. Right. Yeah, but, like, this overarching, like, life plan, that's all bullshit, kids. If you take one thing from this podcast... It's that destiny is bullshit. And if you take two things from this podcast, what's the second thing they should take from this podcast, Lauren? Pop-Tarts and Kool-Aid. Oh, yeah! (laughs) (laughs) Thanks for listening to She-Ra, Progressive of Power. If you like our show, you can rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. We super appreciate it. You can also send in any feedback you have to our email address, progressiveofpower at gmail.com or to our Facebook page at facebook.com backslash progressiveofpower.